Welcome to the Cybersecurity TLDR show, where we save you time by providing you the too long didn't read summary of cybersecurity topics and news. You can find us on YouTube with video and all the popular podcasting platforms for audio on the go. Now let's get over to your host, John Good. Welcome, welcome, welcome. I'm your host, John Good, and this is your Threat Intel Briefing for March 19th, 2023 through March 25th, 2023. If you're watching on YouTube, make sure to like, comment, and subscribe. That way YouTube will keep pushing out new content to you. If you're listening on a podcasting platform, make sure to subscribe on there and leave us a review about anything that you enjoy hearing about, anything else that you want to hear about. And then also, too, make sure that you check out the description because there is a link to the show notes on YouTube and on the podcasting platforms. Check that out. You'll be able to see all the articles that we talk about, as well as some other articles that we didn't quite have enough time for. With that being said, we're going to go ahead and just jump right in the first article here. So Pom Pom Purin unmasked infamous breach forms mastermind arrested in New York. U.S. law enforcement authorities have arrested a 21-year-old New York man in connection with running the infamous breach forms hacking form under the online alias Pom Pom Purin. Development first reported by Bloomberg Law comes after News 12 uh, Westchester earlier this week said that federal investigators spent hundreds inside and uh, spent hours inside and outside of a home in Peekskill. At one point, investigators were seen removing several bags of evidence from the house, the New York-based local news service added. And this is a quote, when I arrested the defendant on March 15, 2023, he stated to me in substance and in part that A, his name was Connor Brian Fitzpatrick, B, he used the alias Pompompurin, and C, he was the owner and administrator of breach forms, FBI agent uh, John Longmire said. Fitzpatrick has been charged with one count of conspiracy to solicit individuals with the purpose of selling unauthorized access devices. The form has since attracted notoriety for hosting stolen databases belonging to several companies, often including sensitive personal information. So, Anytime one of these major underground hacking forms gets busted, there is a huge shakeup in the underground market, right? If you're not familiar with things like Tor, basically kind of the dark web, there is this other side of the internet where you have to basically connect into this Tor network in order to see some of these websites and these hacking forms, right? Obviously there's gonna be some that are on the regular web too, but that's where a lot of these kind of hide because there's kind of this anon, uh, anonymous aspect of things, even though we've, we've seen that that's not entirely accurate, right? But it's this constant battle where these bad, bad people, malicious people are on these forms doing things, buying illegal drugs, buying weapons, buying access to companies' websites and uh, their systems and networks. And then we also see law enforcement also monitoring those platforms, right? And watching for this stuff, building cases against people, especially the big fish. So the people that are running it, right? Because if you take down the big fish, the person that's running it, well, you can either take over that platform and watch it even closer, or you can just take down that platform. So we've seen instances of that where people have been taken down, arrested, by law enforcement for running these platforms and then kind of behind the scenes law enforcement takes over and they just watch right they just build cases against people 
And so that's kind of why you see shakeups like that happen. But I think one of the key things to keep in mind here too, is that this is a 21 year old person, right? 21 year old man, it says, running this big kind of evil empire. That's just the craziness of the web and of internet technologies is that somebody could go do that, right? Before, let's say 30, 40 years ago, you might have to be some big mob boss or something in order to pull off the same kind of large scale marketplace, right? Or scheme. And that's just changed so much with the internet and how, uh, how much adoption there is. And then also we have people that are younger and younger just becoming fluent in dealing with technologies and internet, uh, internet websites and platforms and things like that. So it's just a very interesting kind of evolution. But one word to the wise, you know, all you people that are doing bad things out there, this is basically what's going to happen, right? Law enforcement can continue to chase you forever, right? They can just keep coming, keep coming after you, keep building cases, and eventually it will catch up to probably almost everybody, right? I mean, realistically, there's probably some people that kind of slip through the cracks, but you know, especially if you're running something mass scale like this, like a large uh, marketplace for malicious things, they're going to come after you. They're going to find you. It's just how it is. Usually we see these people, they kind of make mistakes anyways. They go off and brag about how they're running whatever and how their OPSEC is amazing. And then eventually they get caught, right? So uh, what you can do if you're interested in some stories like that, there is a podcast, Darknet Diaries, which is really interesting. And this, uh, this podcast, they have people on talk about stories, some of them like this, right? Where these people are running these forums or maybe they have some kind of interaction or involvement or you know usage of these kinds of forums, right? So definitely check that out. That is definitely worth listening to if you're interested in those kind of stories. Next article, Kaspersky released a new decryptor for Conti-based ransomware. Kaspersky has published a new version of a decryption tool for the Conti ransomware based on previously leaked source code for the Conti ransomware. In March 2022, a Ukrainian security researcher has leaked the source code from the Conti ransomware operation to protest the gang's position on the conflict. We actually talked about that on this show in a previous episode when that happened. And basically, it's the the Russian and Ukrainian conflict, the, the war, the invasion of Russia invading Ukraine, but there was a lot of uproar in that ransomware community and then the source code got leaked. So uh, after the leak of the source code, an unknown ransomware group started distributing a modified version of the Conti ransomware and attacks aimed at companies and state institutions. Late February, 2023, Kaspersky researchers uncovered a new portion of leaked data published on Forbes and noticed the presence of 258 private keys. Leak also included source code and some pre-compiled decryptors, which allowed the researchers to release a new version of the public decryptor. So with ransomware, it's really a race, right? A race between the good guys and the bad guys, because bad guys are always gonna try to evolve their ransomware. They're gonna try to obfuscate it, make it really difficult for somebody to reverse engineer that and figure out what's going on and how to counter that, right? And then we have the good guys that are racing to create decryptor tools. They're trying to disrupt the attack chains of the ransomware groups, disrupt that whole process of installing, downloading and installing the ransomware, 
right? So we see this from all kinds of different aspects of things. Now, Kaspersky, I mean, they have their own, uh, un their own unique, interesting kind of stories about them. And, you know, I, I don't know if I would personally trust it, but it is interesting to see some, uh, some decryption tools trying to fight some of these kinds of ransomware attacks. Ransomware is pretty nasty, right? And if your organization gets attacked by it, you know, that's not going to be a great day for you, right? It, especially if it spreads and it hits a lot of systems, it's not going to be all that fun to deal with. So seeing this kind of decryptor tool is pretty, pretty great, but, uh, you know, always consider the source of where you're getting a tool from, right? So next article, Chinese linked hackers deployed the most zero-day vulnerabilities in 2022, researchers say. Chinese state-linked hackers continue to be the most pro prolific users of zero-day vulnerabilities, exploiting seven such uh, software flaws as part of their cyber operations in 2022, according to the latest research from Mandiant. The firm observed two instances of Russian state-backed groups deploying zero-days and two instances of North Korean hackers using them. The 2022 state-backed hackers exploited a particular focus on exhibited a particular focus on edge network devices such as firewalls and routers, which have grown uh, particularly attractive as endpoint detection software has grown more sophisticated. In a separate report published last Thursday, Mandiant researchers described how Chinese hackers targeted Fortinet and VMware security products in a bid to maintain persistence on victim networks. These edge networking devices pose an attractive target for attackers because they're exposed to the internet and often lack security protections of other endpoint devices. In many instances, these products aren't built with security baked in, Sadowski said, and attacking these types of devices makes for a very powerful and powerfully efficient and broad tool. So we see nation state attackers leveraging vulnerabilities all the time. We've seen an uptick specifically in China. We did have an article before talking about kind of the stockpiling of vulnerabilities within China, so much so that they're trying to kind of cultivate their own vulnerability disclosure requirements or restrictions on what people can actually divulge to companies, right? So what they can actually report to companies versus what stays internal into the government or you know, internal to China. So we know this kind of thing is happening and it's just very interesting to see some of these state-backed hacking groups, right? We see like North Korea, we see China, we see all these different countries that are more or less publicly aggressive or at least it's more in the public, right? I'm sure a lot of countries are doing things, right? But it's just always interesting to see some of these countries when they, when they do that, specifically with zero-day vulnerabilities. Because if you don't know what zero-day vulnerabilities are or O-day vulnerabilities, basically those are vulnerabilities that don't have a fix yet for them. Typically, they are, they are unknown, right? So if I were to go download a piece of software, I found a vulnerability that's never been reported, nobody knows about it, that would be a zero-day vulnerability, right? And so typically those are considered very expensive because it's a lot of time and effort that has to go into finding those. And so typically, you know, unless you have to use one, you don't really want to use one, right? You want to hold on to it as long as possible. You absolutely have to use it. 
And then at that point, use it and then it's considered burned because now people can start to know about it. They start to see alerts or that attack chain and what that looks like. But again, it's just always interesting to see, especially which country uses the most, right? But I, I, I'm not entirely surprised just based on some of the things that we've seen recently. So that will be definitely be something to kind of continue to watch, see if that changes hands as far as which country has used the most. But uh, right now it is China, right? Next article, India cuts internet to 27 million as Punjab police hunt Sikh separatists. Indian authorities have blocked internet access for about 27 million people in the state of Punjab for a fourth straight day, one of the country's most extensive blackouts in recent years, as police search for a, a Sikh separatist on the run. The Punjab government initially announced 24-hour internet ban on Saturday as authorities launched an operation to arrest uh, Armit Paul Singh, a popular leader with the separatist Alistan movement that seeks to establish a sovereign state for the followers of the Sikh religion. The internet shutdown, which affects everyone in northern Indian, Indian state, was extended by the government for a third time to midday Tuesday, this, is the past, this past Tuesday, under a law that allows the connections to be cut to prevent any incitement to violence and any disturbance of peace and public order. Police in Punjab have justified the internet shutdown as a means to maintain law and order and stop the spread of fake news. So India is very interesting in general, right? We've seen them take some pretty aggressive measures with things like incident response requirements and requiring you to report or notify uh, victims of breaches very, very quickly, a lot quicker than other places, right? And all kinds of different stuff like that, right? This is kind of just another thing, right? In the United States, for example, we would never imagine that the government could just go in and knock out an entire internet connection. For instance, you know, in New York State, right? We would never imagine that the government could just go into the ISP, the internet service provider, and be like, shut that down, right? Shut down the entire state's internet connection. So that's pretty crazy, right? That's, that's pretty extreme. You know, the other thing that I think about too is how connected we are, right? Like just in general with the internet. So if that happens and like your, your thermostat, your refrigerator, you know, like all these other things also go down, your security system probably, you know, all these things can go down because you can just shut down the internet. I mean, I get it, right? Like they're trying to go after this certain person that they think is going to cause a lot of harm, a lot of damage, most likely. But it's that's that's pretty uh, overreaching as far as the power to be able to do that, right? Again, in like the United States, that would never like stand. People would be so angry and just uproar based on that alone. But also too, it's like they're going after one person and they shut out 27 million people. That's crazy, right? One person. That's just very, very interesting. Anyways, next article, UK ransomware incident volu uh, volume surged 17% in 2022. Attacker reported ransomware incidents increased by 17% annually in the UK last year, 
despite a global decline in overall volumes, according to JumpSec. The London-headquartered security vendor compiled its annual trend report from manual investigation techniques and automated bots designed to scrape public-facing websites run by ransomware actors. It said that data from the first part of 2023 shows signs of a continued uptick in ransomware compromises this year, so for 2023. Although the National Cybersecurity Center, NCSC, has previously predicted we would see a more diverse and capable ransomware landscape following the decline of the prolific Conti group, LockBit appears to have taken the former's mantle globally and in the UK. So one of the things that we see occasionally, right, by geographic region typically, so by country, by area of the world, is certain types of attacks come in trends, right? So if you're seeing it in one area, there's probably some kind of event that spurred that or that caused that certain type of attack to increase compared to others, right? Maybe with ransomware, you know, a lot of companies just aren't doing some of the basic security measures. And these attackers have just found that uh, com companies in the UK just are negligent, right, on their security for ransomware. I don't know, right? Like, but that does lead us to believe that something is pushing that agenda and causing that. You know, if companies were really secure, why would these attackers go after that specific country or a lot of companies in that country more than other types of attacks, right? Just how it is. Attackers go after low-hanging fruit. They have no reason to go after more extreme or more difficult targets, especially if the, the payoff or the benefit is the same, right, or similar. So I'd be interested to hear you know, kind of what's pushing that agenda. I don't think we're gonna see that in the report, right? Because it varies a lot, <laughs> but I would totally be interested to hear why. Let's see here. So here's another article on Breach Forums. Breach Forums says it's closing after suspected law enforcement access to backend. In an abrupt about face, the new administrator, a popular cyber criminal platform, Breach Forums, said they plan to shut down the site after its previous administrator was allegedly arrested last week. Hacker going by the name of Baphomet initially said that they were working through an emergency plan for the form after the arrest of 21-year-old Connor Brian Fitzpatrick that we already covered an article about at his home in Peekskill, New York, last Wednesday. In court documents, Fitzpatrick is alleged to be, is alleged to be the hacker known as Pom Pom Purin, the leading administrator of Breach Forms. What a terrible username, right? Like, I just hate saying it. It's just so, what? What a terrible username. Can't you pick something simple? <laughs> but in an update published on Tuesday, the new administrator taking over breach forms said that they now plan to shut down the platform entirely. Baphomet wrote this, that someone was able to access the back end of the platform through Pom Pom Purian's account on Sunday afternoon leading them to believe law enforcement may have access to site source code and information about the forum's users. So yeah, this goes back to what I was saying, right? A lot of times when these administrators get taken down or arrested or you know taken into custody and it's public, then there's a lot of skepticism. There's a lot of concern you know, from these malicious people that access these malicious websites. And you know they have to be concerned with that because they're doing a lot of shady stuff 
And then if the law enforcement can access information like who they are or other email addresses associated with their account, they can tie all this stuff together, find out who these people actually are. Because typically, you know, you're not going to use your actual username. You're going to use an alias. I guess people do probably use their work emails and stuff like that, you know, stupid stuff. But, uh, you know, so it is interesting to see that. Uh, again, check out Dark Rating because I recently listened to an older episode that they had on there. But basically what happened was the law enforcement, there was this big sting. One of the law enforcement agencies took over one of the platforms that they had to like actually take into custody these other people. For, uh, they had to take, they had to basically uh, coordinate this attack, right? Because as soon as they took down these other people, it was going to be known that all this happened. And so they had to kind of, you know, maneuver and schedule it, right? But uh, yeah, I mean, this is kind of what happens, right? And then so that site maybe will go down, but come up as another site. That happens a lot. Even with just the attack groups in general, they shift around a lot. So uh, let's see here. Next article, research highlights cybersecurity's underestimated role as a business and revenue enabler. Trend Micro Incorporated, a global cybersecurity leader, Today, released new research revealing that while global organizations plan to increase cybersecurity budgets in 2023, business leaders hold conflicting views on the function. John Clay, VP of Threat Intelligence at Trend Micro, uh, there's a quote, organizations want to make the most of their security investments. Business leaders must reframe their view of cybersecurity, think more broadly about how it can positively impact the enterprise. This research shows it's clearly a critical component of winning new business and talent. At a time when every dollar penny counts, it's concerning to see stereotype views of security persist at the top. Nearly two-thirds, 64% of business decision makers, BDMs, uh, respondents, say that they plan to increase security investments in 2023. However, the research also reveals critical gaps in BDMs' understanding of the relationships between cybersecurity and other parts of the organization. On the other hand, half, 51%, claim cybersecurity is a necessary cost but not a revenue contributor, while a similar share, 48%, argue that its value is limited to attack, attack threat prevention. Nearly a fifth, 38%, even see security as a barrier rather than a business enabler. So this is one of the most annoying things that I can think of that I see you know, somewhat frequently or it comes up every so often, is this idea from security people that in general, security is a business enabler, right? Like I have a whole video on why uh, you shouldn't use ROI and, you know, all these kinds of things about cybersecurity. It's just such a fundamental understanding of where cybersecurity fits into the organization and how that impacts the mission and how that, you know, kind of fits into those pieces, right? There are companies where it totally does make a difference and it is a, uh, an actual revenue generator, right? That can totally happen in a lot of organizations, right? Like if a customer is like, you have to get this certification, this compliance certification, or we will not spend $50 million with you. Yeah, obviously at that point, it becomes a revenue generator, right? Like it's a revenue barrier uh, that if you don't meet or exceed, you're not gonna get that extra money, right? And you have to do a cost benefit analysis, see if it's worth it based on what you're gonna implement or what you're gonna do. But it's just this weird 
kind of stance that some security leaders are trying to portray. And it's just, it, it's so bad, right? Like it's just so fundamentally incorrect based on how things are, right? And, you know, on this particular person, I mean, they could be talking about security companies, maybe. They're probably talking about companies as a whole, which again is incorrect at that point. But you just, you have to evaluate where security stands, right? Typically security is a cost center. I don't care what people say. In most organizations, it's gonna be a cost center, right? Uh, again, it depends, right? Like a lot of things, right? But, you know, in general, it's there to help the business reduce risk and minimize loss, okay? Not to increase profit. Minimizing loss do, or uh, increased revenue. Minimizing cost does not increase revenue, right? That might increase your profit margin, right? But that's not increasing revenue. Those are totally different things, right? You can decrease cost by, you know, using cheaper materials, using uh, renting different buildings that are maybe less expensive, going to a part of the country or the world that's less expensive, outsourcing work, it's less expensive, right? Like all of these things, less expensive, they're increasing the profit margin. They're not increasing typically the revenue. Cybersecurity typically is not increasing your revenue. It's just increasing your profit margin, which can be helpful, right? But you have to phrase it correctly. I just, I, it, it drives me crazy when people, especially at high levels are just like, Yes, it's security is a revenue generator. It's like, ugh, you just, you don't understand. You just don't understand, right? It's a, it's a dangerous argument. It's gonna make you look bad, especially if you're doing it incorrectly. And uh, I think more technical people should probably get some courses like in business and kind of, you know, standard terminology and how that stuff works so that they understand where that fundamental flaw is. Maybe we need like a, a business or cybersecurity kind of course, right? Or uh, certification. Everybody loves certifications, right? Because it's just like, it, it's getting crazy, right? I, I hear this too much from people that should know better, but they just don't, so. Let's see here. Windows 11, Tesla, Ubuntu, and Mac OS hacked at Pond Own 2023. On the first day of Pond Own, Vancouver 2023, security researchers successfully demoed Tesla Model 3, Windows 11, and Mac OS zero-day exploits and exploit chains to win $375,000 and a Tesla Model 3. The first to fall was Adobe Reader in an enterprise applications category after Haboop Essays, Abdul Aziz uh, Harai, used an exploit chain targeting a six bug logic chain, abusing multiple failed patches, which escaped the sandbox and bypassed a banned API list on Mac OS to earn $50,000. Star Labs team demoed a zero day exploit chain targeting Microsoft's SharePoint team collaboration platform that brought them a $100,000 reward and successfully hacked Ubuntu desktop with a previously known exploit for $15,000. Uh, Synactive, Took home $100,000 and a Tesla Model 3 after successfully exploiting a talk to a time and checked uh, to time of use attack against the Tesla gateway in the automotive category. 
They also used a zero day vulnerability for the same type to escalate privileges on Apple Mac OS and earn $40,000. During last year's Vancouver Pondown contest, security researchers earned $1.155 million after attacking Windows 11 six times, Ubuntu desktop four times, and successfully demonstrating three Microsoft Teams zero days. So this is more for an informative kind of thing if you were into hacking and into kind of exploiting things, right? Especially getting paid to do it. Go to Pondown, right? Like that's an awesome competition. Go as a team, find some people that you're friends with and try to win some money, right? Try to win some prizes. Pretty awesome. And definitely if you're in that space, it's a really good idea to go to. If, you're if you just want to check it out, if you're just really interested in it, maybe you don't want to actually work in that space, you know, go check it out, right? But it is just so awesome that we have competitions and events like this because it just, it is rewarding people for doing research ethically, right? In a world where we have a ton of people going toward the dark side, right? That are going as black, uh, they're going to be black hat hackers or they're shifting that way, right? You know, I, I could totally see that, right? Like if you're some super awesome hacker and you just get no respect, no um, credit, right? Like no, no, credentials or no achievements or anything like that, no acknowledgement, you know, what is to stop you from going that way? We have to incentivize people that are talented, that are wanting to do this for good and help people and, you know, incentivize it, right? Give them awards, give them money, right? They're security researchers and people that are working in regular companies. We don't want those talented people to go to the dark side and make things even more difficult and make our lives even worse right? So really important. That's why bug bounty programs are really important too, right? But those are more, you know, kind of ongoing where this is like an event. So, but really awesome. Definitely. I would recommend checking that out. So with that, we're going to go ahead and wrap it up for this week. This has been your Threat Intel Briefing for March 19th, 2023 through March 25th, 2023. Again, I'm your host, John Good. If you're watching on YouTube, make sure to like, comment, and subscribe. That way YouTube will keep pushing out new content to you. If you're listening on podcasting platforms, then make sure to subscribe and leave us a review on there as well. Also make sure to check out the description on either, uh, either on YouTube or on the podcasting platforms because there will be a link to the show notes. Check out all the articles that we talked about plus some more that we didn't have time for. And with that being said, we're going to go ahead and wrap it up for this week. I want to thank you for joining me and I'll see you next time.